News. 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 New York City. F-A-Q. Welcome to FAQ NYC. This is Alex Brooklyn. We are in post-election night musings. On Tuesday, New York City elected a new public advocate, Jumani Williams. The stated mission of the position is to watchdog city government for the voter. Public advocate is also first in line to succeed the mayor. The position has primarily been a mouthpiece for voters, but has proved to be a springboard to power. The last public advocate is now the state attorney general, and the public advocate before that is now the mayor. So it's understandable, sort of, that the candidates collectively spent many times the budget of the office itself to try and win it. There were a lot of players thirsty for this seat, 17 actually, who made the ballot, each one with their own party name, fighting for what turned out to be 400,000 votes. This was a no-runoff race, which means that whatever happens, happens. No two out of three, no tiebreakers, no do-overs. Whoever gets the most votes wins. The contest has been absurd, and the winner only holds the post for the next few months when there is a new primary in June and then the general election in November. Things went a little topsy-turvy with the city dynamics in this race as the Daily News backed the Republican, Eric Ulrich strictly because that would allow for a competitive contest for the office later in the year. He ended up finishing second, ahead of all the Democrats instead of Jamani as they chopped up the vote. FAQ talked to Jamani, Brooklyn's own, just after an impressive run for lieutenant governor, which he lost but put him in the statewide spotlight. Back then, he told FAQ that he wouldn't run if his BFF did. First of all, Kirsten is my brother. Um, it's a, just a brother from another, so it's not. It's more than a friendship. Uh, we're not going to run against each other. His friend, Minister Kirsten John Foy, ended up stepping out of the race, and Jumani ended up winning it. Jumani Williams, currently the city council <laughs> member from Brooklyn. And so, Jumani, let's just say I'm talking to you at, at 8 o'clock right now. Let's just say the polls come back and you are the new public advocate of New York City. Uh, what does this office mean to you? What do you plan to do um, with the office? What are you going to bring? Well, I got to tell you, I'm, I'm really nervous right now. So it's difficult for me to talk about what's going to happen then, but I know I can tell you what my vision of the office has been for the whole time, kind of the way they envisioned it, which was to be a place that would rise above politics and that would make decisions based on what's best for the people and not for the person who's holding the office. And it's very rare to find someone who can actually do it in the way it's supposed to be. And I've modeled my career off of that, whether it's the housing issues, the MTA, policing, transparency. There's a lot of things that are going on right now. Uh, and it's critically important to have somebody who's going to say the people come before whatever is beneficial to you as, as an elected official. Right. And so do you want to expand the role of the office or what are sort of your visions with uh, working with the mayor and even the controller as public advocate? Well, you know, I always say my job is not to be adversarial just because. My job mm -hmm. is to make sure that people are represented. And when the mayor or the controller or whomever are doing what the people's work should be and are doing what's in the best interest of the people. My job is to help that continue to move forward and be a go-between between the folks and their government. But when that's not happening, they are expecting the public advocate to advocate, even when it is with people who have power. And that's exactly what I'm going to do. That's what I have done. So you've had an interesting 24, 48 hours, I would <laughs> say. Um, would you support the NYPD if they decide to do a follow-up to see who leaked um, your your past domestic dispute uh, well, you information? Know, I, 
One, I think it was an important conversation. So people had a right to ask uh, about the information they found out, and we did our best to be transparent and answer all of their questions. Uh, there is a, another question about why that information was put forth, especially something that was dismissed and sealed. It's supposed to be equating to a nullification so people don't take the wrong conclusion. And obviously, you know, I left it up to folks to make the judgment call of why that was done, and I think people made a judgment call that it was done for nefarious reasons. Mm -hmm. uh, it is important to figure out. I think how this got out, because today's me and tomorrow could be someone else. So I think that's an important question that somebody should so have to answer. So you do want them to investigate? Yeah, I, I, I do think they should investigate. You know, I, I'm torn between, um, you know, this story going further, which um, I'm concerned about the identity of uh, my ex because she just doesn't want to be in the public at all. And mm -hmm. she told all the reporters that. Um, but it's important to figure out how this happened because, you know, these things are – uh, there was a attorney that told me actually uh, some of the things that they may have used were supposed to be destroyed. And mm -hmm. this is a question that people ask about databases and what have you that NYPD say that gets destroyed after a certain time period. Maybe that's not true. Maybe people have a right to to be concerned about the types of databases uh, the department is keeping on New Yorkers. Mm -hmm. And so shifting gears just a little bit, uh, you, you got the New York Times endorsement, um, and your Republican opponent, Ulrich, uh, was endorsed by the Daily News. And, I mean, part of what they were essentially saying, it seems as though it's just, you know, these kind of nonpartisan elections seem to be pretty good for democracy. Do you think this new setup and the way that the public advocates race was run, where you all create your own party, was that a good thing? I am, um, first of all, I'm honored because the New York Post, when I ran for lieutenant governor, said they never, ever get involved in Democratic primaries, but they were this time to support the Republicans. And the Daily News uh, got involved, and they generally sometimes lean left. They got involved to get to support the Republicans. So I'm glad that I guess people are concerned about uh, what I bring to the table, that they start doing strange things. But, I, you know, I am a supporter of uh, nonpartisan elections. Um, I really think at least we should have um, automatic uh, runoffs. You know, something that creates some a dynamic when we don't just have two parties taking hold, and it's been very mm -hmm. difficult to crack that. Because the truth be told, even though I'm a Democrat, many of the issues I care about, many of the problems I see were here long before Trump, and that's because mm -hmm. the Democratic Party was also most concerned about incumbency protection, and we have to be honest about that. Have you seen anyone in a new light um, having gone through this, this race these past few months? <laughs> Um, I, I, do you think any more of a particular candidate or any less of a particular candidate um, I have, have gone um, through this particular race? This isn't your first time at the rodeo either. It's not. I, I have, uh, I've had to put some people in some different negative buckets. Um, and it's unfortunate, you know, it's unfortunate because people have been public servants. And to go the way that some folks went, it just really doesn't make sense. You know, it just really doesn't make sense. And no thought about the ramifications after this election and that's disappointing and i think people saw that um is there anyone who you see in a positive light and are looking forward to working with iffy ike actually um mm -hmm. i'd love to see what she's going to do next um, and she she did not make it essentially to the top 17 she was sort of the first one that was knocked off of uh, competition yes but she uh she was a threat to all of us if she had more time and more money she was uh, a threat to all of us she had she was very good i was very impressed um, by uh, the presentation she had uh, for her run. Wow. Well, thank you so much, Councilman. Um, you know, as we say to all the candidates, good luck, and hopefully uh, you'll be able to represent the city of New York in the way that you see fit. I'm hoping. Thank you so much.
Okay, we appreciate you. Peace and blessings. Okay. So we had this election. Uh, it cost a lot more than the budget of this office. And now we'll have this election again in June and then maybe in November uh, for this office that was sort of set up as a pity prize for uh, Andy Stein after the uh, Supreme Court took away his old office. Here we are. <laughs> Here we are. Ben, uh, what happened tonight? Well, Jamani Williams, I think, had a fairly stunning win here. I mean, to to come away with a third of the vote when there were 17 candidates on the ballot, and if you even if you knock off, let's say, five or six of those candidates or who were, you know, less than 1% or whatever, you had a bunch of elected officials, former elected officials, people raising a bunch of money who were outsiders, and he pulls a third of the vote. Mm-hmm. That shows his political power and certainly it was coming off of his lieutenant governor campaign and all the endorsements that stayed with him and such but i think this was a higher vote total than just about anyone i talked to expected by by a lot um and i think it shows that central brooklyn has an immense amount of power right now in new york politics jamani williams is obviously ascendant here uh, and we'll see how long it is before he reconsiders his statement that he's not running for mayor in 2021, right? Right. <laughs> um, I may be the only person who genuinely believes that he won't. Uh, right now, I believe it. Um, but, you know, we saw with Corey Johnson pretty recently that he was like, not mayor, never. And then right. five <laughs> minutes after right. he ascended to a higher level of power, he's like, you know what? Maybe. Might take a look at this. Same with Joe Fast Brand, forward a few right? months. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so that's maybe... Um, an interesting conversation down the line. But the other thing about this margin is that it probably means he might not see much competition in that June primary you just mentioned, which is right around the corner. Um, so by putting putting this one away by such a margin, you know, he might have protected himself there. Uh, it means some interesting things for Mayor de Blasio. It certainly means some interesting things for people like Brad Lander of Brooklyn, who's a close ally of Jamani Williams, who's going to run for comptroller, one of the other citywide positions. Um, you know, so the, the office itself has fairly limited power, a fairly limited budget, but there's a lot of repercussions here right. to come. I mean, I think the people who have held the office obviously have wanted to go to higher heights, and it hasn't necessarily worked out for them the ways that they wanted, per se. For, Some. For, sorry, I'm thinking mm-hmm. about people who have been speaker oh, okay, um, yeah. who have wanted to, to go. And obviously, they see the public advocates race. We see what happened with Tish James. We see what happened with uh, Bill de Blasio. But I think after tonight, I mean, the only person who could realistically make the case to say, maybe I should run again, is Eric Alwich. Um, You know, Melissa barely breaks double digits. She's got, got 11%. Michael Blake got 8%. So, I mean, that to me is a is a whopper. Um, and then everyone else, including the electeds, you know, are barely at, at 5%. Um, yeah, the, the only person, and I don't think anybody had a good night other than Jermani Williams and Eric Ulrich, but the only other person you could maybe say is Dawn Smalls. Yeah. And even though she only had 4%, she beat a bunch of elected officials, which is incredible elected. considering zero base. Right. Zero. Right. Um, and she has a message that clearly resonated with people, and I think a lot of people liked her style. I think a lot of people liked her intellect. I think a lot of people want to see more of her maybe in a different office. Yes, there's um, some rumors about her running for Manhattan DA perhaps. Mm-hmm. And she was an adult in the room, someone mm-hmm. with federal government experience, you know, that type of thing that I think, as you're saying, you know, she appealed to a lot of people around the city, but she also raised and spent a bunch of money. 
who knows, you know, how that got her to the 4% she got. We should also shouldn't overrate that. I mean, she got 16,000 votes. So the Daily News endorsed Ulrich under the basis of uh, this election stinks. Um, and the only way we're going to have a real election next year is if the Republican wins. So the Republican didn't win, right? He beat 15 Democrats and he lost big to Jumani. He won Queens and Staten Island. But if a Republican can't beat 16 Democrats splitting up that vote, like, do they have any future in this city? Not in the city as it's currently functioning, right? Not in a city with low crime and high employment and universal pre-K and some of these other things that have have happened over the last several years. Um, Ulrich, I think, did fairly well. But, you know, if if you almost look at this as if people saw it as a three or four candidate race, basically, um, you know, he didn't do that much better than, you know, a sort of generic Republican in a citywide race of any kind. He, he did Trump numbers, basically, percentage wise. Which, again, with but Trump is Trump was going in a race that everybody knew about against one other candidate, more or less. This was a lot of Democrats bringing out their mm. base, maybe. I mean, look at these results. I don't know. You know, there's some elected officials here who who didn't even scratch the surface of what they would get in a normal election. But, um, you know, I mean, I think Ulrich did fairly well. He still had to convince <laughs> Republicans and conservative Democrats to actually even come out and bother voting. Yeah. So. <laughs> you can read into that maybe a little de Blasio fatigue. Well, see, I, I, I definitely agree with that. I think the common denominator between Jumani and Eric is that both of them represented to voters a, a foil to the mayor or a force of some sort. You know, Jumani obviously has a proven track record of being a fighter as far as city council and then the rhetoric that he had when he was running for lieutenant governor. Just, I mean, obviously the people who do sort of know who he is, even if they're not from Brooklyn, they've sort of seen him getting arrested. They've sort of seen him... Um, out there. And so I think that's where his base of support comes from. And then, you know, some of the exit polls just had people, you know, Democrats and Republicans saying, it's like, I'm just disappointed in de Blasio and he's basically not even here. So why don't we just elect someone who could possibly, you know, I think Americans like divided government. And can we elect someone who would sort of not essentially be in the pocket to the mayor? So I think you make a really good point about both of them being sort of foils to the mayor, one from his left in Jamani Williams on many issues, and obviously one from his right on on others in Ulrich, you know, but what this win also signifies is that this city discourse is going even further to the left, right? If somehow Ulrich had pulled this off, he would be giving a bit of a conservative voice in the city discourse that's just not really there unless you count the New York Post editorial page, right? So so there's a real issue with that, that those voters who flock to him are just not, are going to continue to not be represented citywide. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and now you're going to see Jamani Williams, who's to the left of Tish James, who he's basically replacing, continue to move the city discourse that way. And then one other thing I'll say on that is, for Mayor de Blasio and just the sort of city policy and political discussion, Jamani Williams being the public advocate means the issues of policing, criminal justice, and housing are going to be even more elevated Mm -hmm. because those are his issues. Those are the issues that he cares about. Um, So we should expect to see a lot more from him putting pressure on the mayor on those issues. See, that's why I think that he's such an interesting person for the 2021 mayoral race because let's just say he doesn't run right and he's pushing 
the city slash a lot of the discourse to the left. He might be pushing the mayor to the left. But we have to remember that you know a lot of Democrats in the city are not progressive Democrats, you know, and they may not be able to allow themselves to vote for Ulrich because he has this R behind his name, and they don't want to be attached to, you know, the party of a man sliding down a gold escalator calling Mexicans rapists. So, like, the Republican label is difficult for a lot of people right now. But I, I think we would be mistaken to think that New Yorkers are progressive, right? And I don't know how Jumani, let's just say he doesn't run, how that affects the candidates for mayor in 2021. Right. He's he's going to be an important player in that scene no matter what. Mm-hmm. And if he were to run, he shakes up the dynamics among Eric Adams, Ruben Diaz Jr., Scott Stringer, and probably Corey Johnson. You know, I'm sure that some of them are watching these results and seeing Jamani Williams, um, you know, take flight here a bit and wondering how it should factor into their calculations as they look to their run in case he runs or even if he doesn't, he's mm-hmm. going to be a significant player in that. And you raise a good point in terms of where the more moderate Democrats, conservative Democrats go in the future. Um, where Who's their candidate in that 2021 primary? And are yeah. there enough of them that it actually matters? I'm right. not, I don't know. Right. And can I, can I lightning around you here? They'll nope. come right back to this. Well, this was a special contest with special rules. Chief among them, Everyone had to make up their own ridiculous party name. So let's play Name That Candidate. I'm going to name the party line. See if you can tell me the candidate. Oh, no. Pop quiz this late All right. night. I'm actually, I'm going to actually take this as a quiz and, and not have the candidate list in front of me that I had on my, on my laptop <laughs> here. I'm going, to, I'm going to do it real. Equality for all. Danny O'Donnell. Common Sense. Eric Ulrich. No More to Liz. Dawn Smalls. Three for three. Yep. You're good. Three man. for three. Let me get tough here. Community strong. Ben Yee. Last one. <laughs> this is the easiest one. Ron Kim. No Amazon. Yep. So Ron Kim, right, who's the Queen's Assemblyman yeah. and something of a moderate Democrat, you could say, got 11,000 votes, which is really not many. Um, is there a space at this point for, for, for sort of the centrist wing of the party in 2021 if things keep flowing? Or is this just all the momentum at the moment, however conservative the city can turn, um, really moving to the left? There's something there possibly, especially if you're talking about a split field of four or five strong Democratic candidates. Ruben Diaz Jr. is going to have a pro-development approach more mm-hmm. so than other candidates. Eric Adams is going to have a little bit more of a tough on crime, former cop mm-hmm. thing going Take your on. Guns to church. You know, but but more. but everybody it's you Johnny know, Cash I mean people are going to have people are going to have to decide in that race what they think their lane is and they're going to run in that, but it's still hard to imagine that it's not going to be everybody sort of trying to out progressive each other. Oh god no. So Well, I mean, isn't Ruben Diaz going to sort of look to Cuomo for guidance? Probably. Um, you know, it's been sort of uh, the writing on the wall that Diaz Jr. was going to be Cuomo's guy when he decided to run for mayor. But one caveat to that that's developed is that Cuomo and Carl Hasty of the Bronx have had a bit of a falling out. Mm-hmm. And Hasty and Diaz Jr. are obviously very tight. So we'll see where that goes. I still think 
there's a good chance that Diaz Jr. is Cuomo's guy, but maybe now Cuomo just doesn't bother getting involved. Right. Whereas in the past, maybe he would have made what would have been a fairly rare play for a Democratic governor to get involved in a Democratic primary. You know, we'll see. That's I'm not. Yeah, you know, I don't know. We'll right. See, we'll well, see. I mean, but, but, also, but recent and, developments have have yeah. certainly made me question. Like, oh, maybe maybe Diaz Jr. can't count on locking that up. But and also Diaz Jr.'s other wild card is Diaz Senior. Diaz Senior, yeah. It's also an issue for Corey Johnson, who Diaz Senior just pulled back mm-hmm. the uh, the curtain and is like, yeah, this was the deal for getting in the Bronx. Mm-hmm. Uh, I got this committee that, that was then taken away from him because of his uh, really repellent uh, homophobic, homophobic remarks, remarks, which incidentally are nothing new. His latest. Yeah, yeah. Right, exactly. I was about to say. Yeah, you know, for Corey Johnson, that'll probably mostly be old news by then because Diaz Sr. will be so, so much more of an albatross for Diaz Jr. than he would be for Corey Johnson. But, you know, it's interesting we talk about those types of compromises and questions. And for Jamani Williams, he's had questions come up about, you know, some more conservative strands in his beliefs, um, which he, you know, has sort of explained some evolution on or some difference between his very personal beliefs and how he legislates on things like women's reproductive rights and marriage equality. Um, You know, I did an interview with him in this public advocate race where I asked him to cite a mistake that he's made. He said he wanted to um, apologize to people in the LGBT community because he hadn't, you know, been clear enough on his statements. You know, it was a little bit of a dodge still, but he he offered that as his answer. So you do see some of these mm-hmm. like slightly more moderate conservative strands throughout the Democratic circles. Um, but we also have people like Scott Stringer and Corey Johnson who are going to be running hard to the left. And Jamani Williams might be in that group. Yeah. I mean, I you know, I always wonder, you know, with, with sort of, is the Bronx model outdated? Is Scott Has Scott Stringer been running for so long, you know, has his time sort of passed for whatever reason he just seems like, I don't know, for New Yorkers? I don't know. Like, I'm just curious as these questions come up, you know, is it, you know, if Jumani sort of makes policing and law and order like such a, a real poignant issue for New Yorkers to think about, you know, does he essentially erase Eric Adams because... Eric Adams is seen as, you know, a blue candidate, not necessarily a black candidate, right? I mean, I'm so curious as to how the insertion of Jumani as essentially the number two in command in the city changes the calculus for the five men that we can sort of name who are thinking about running. But also I'm curious to see what women would think about running for mayor. So this is a big outstanding question that comes out of tonight is where is Melissa Mark Favorito go from here? Does she try what might be more of a one-on-one race with Jamani Williams for June? Oh, come these on. These results, you, I mean, if I'm looking, well, right. If I'm looking, or 11%? At, if I'm looking at these results, you think that's a, that's a pretty tough trigger for her to pull. She did not call to concede though. So she doesn't want to cl- foreclose the option at least. <laughs> Possibly. I mean, I think she's got to concede this special election, but she may not have be ruling out a run for June. Right. It might behoove her to, to hold her fire in a June primary and just try to ramp up for a mayoral run in 2021, maybe where she's the only woman in the mm-hmm. field. You got four to or go five along guys. With yeah, I mean, maybe it didn't work very well in this election, mm-hmm. but again, this is a weird special election with, you know, fairly low turnout, although I think it exceeded, exceeded my expectations, yeah. certainly for turnout at about 400,000 or so. Um, but she could be the only woman in the 2021 field. That could be something. You know, there's rumors 
maybe Christine Quinn gives it another go. Maybe Alicia Glenn wants to try to be mayor. I don't know <laughs> that I see that, but you know, she's the departing deputy mayor. She definitely so, wants to. So we'll see. But but yeah. that's a great outstanding question: is will there be a woman in that field? And 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 if not, where you know where is that voice? Right. You know, but we should we should know Jamani Williams just dominated Brooklyn, which must be giving Eric Adams some oh. reason to worry, right? If Jemani were to think about 2021. In his slippers, I guarantee. And Jemani Williams did very well on the Upper West Side, mm-hmm. which is extremely vote rich, which Shout must be Gail giving Brewer Scott Stringer uh-huh. some uh, agita. agita. Hey, so, I say agita, hey. you say agita? <laughs> I think agita. I do. Let's call the whole thing <laughs> <Yeah. off. laughs> Um you know, but but again, we're jumping ahead to Jamani being in the race. It's worth thinking about why wouldn't he at least consider it? And and all bets are that at some point he'll at least think about it. Well, definitely after November, let's just say it's right. a sealed deal. Right. I mean, because then depending on what his numbers are in November and how he's been able to, I mean, let's be clear, the press is interested in what he has to say and always has been. Um, we'll see how that relationship alters now that he's the number two in the city. And let's see how he and Corey Johnson coexist Mm -hmm. as filling a little bit of the same lane of like, wear your emotions on your sleeve, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, call out injustice wherever you think you see it and just sort of trying to be truth tellers and activists and elected officials and they're a little younger and they're... um, It could be a beautiful thing for New York. It could also be... could be an interesting yeah. budding rivalry. Who knows? You know, and, and then, of course, certainly Scott Stringer is not going to want to be left out of the conversation. And we're already seeing him sort of, I think, make some adjustments given the fact that he sees Corey Johnson now as a as a big threat. Um, you know, and, and going forward, as I talked, as I said about Jamani Williams is very likely now going to be as he's going to be as public advocate, I think, what de Blasio was lucky that Tish James was not which is mm, out there having talk press conferences it. saying this policy mm-hmm. on affordable housing is right. not meeting the needs right. of low-income New Yorkers or why is Daniel Pantaleo still on the on police the force? He's not going to be having lawsuits to nowhere. I think the questions will be Or even maybe to somewhere. Yeah, right. I mean, okay, I'll be generous. <laughs> she got a couple. She, you know, she, she had, had a she couple. Okay, I, I hear you, though. That's I hear right, you. I hear you. <laughs> um, I'm just hoping for a little more success as AG as yeah. far as like the, the carry through with the lawsuits. That's I all I'm saying. But I do think that Jumani will raise some issues that a lot of New Yorkers are like still seeking answers to. And especially like, you know what Jumani reminds me of? He reminds me of the voice of the New Yorkers who were left behind during the Bloomberg era. And all, you know, a lot of people say like the city's clean. It's great. We've got safe streets, etc. But like that came at a cost to a lot of marginalized communities under the Bloomberg era. Bloomberg did not give two shits about black people, Latinos, poor people, or marginalized communities. And he did all of these things and sort of like, I'll just do it and I'll answer to you. Not, not ever, really. Like, ask questions, but who cares? And I think that there was the silencing of a lot of marginalized communities for 12 years that I once de Blasio came to office, people realized just how oppressive Bloomberg had been and non-responsive to community needs. And Jumani reminds me of a person who's sort of reminding people to kind of wake back up and realize that they can actually demand um, a voice. Ben, this might be where we uh, where we close here. Did de Blasio open up that door and then did other people walk through it and leave him behind? 
So I, I, I'm glad you phrased it that way because what I was going to say to Chrissy's point is that, you know, de Blasio answered, you know, he, he gave voice to those people yeah. and he, 2013. he won. And Jamani Williams, though, has said recently, and I think very much means it, that the mayor, the you know, the candidate he backed back then has not come through in the in in some of the ways that he expected him to. And he gives him credit for some things, but on those issues I mentioned of policing, especially around accountability and, and transparency at the NYPD, which Williams talks about a lot, and affordable housing, he does not believe de Blasio has followed through. And that's that is mm-hmm. where he's trying to walk through that door now and say, here's the real progressive answer on those subjects. And if I'm the mayor, I know that there's a potential that Williams would be more of a headache than he wants in the public advocate's role. But, I mean, does the mayor care? I mean, he's got such a case of senioritis. He's in Iowa. But he's, listen, he wants to work. He's not going to run for president. Or maybe he'll dabble a little and drop out or whatever. He's got knit sweaters. But, But... he is worried he's going to be worried about his legacy and if he has jamani williams now for two plus years railing against some of the aspects of his legacy he will care yeah it's going to be a transcendent era my friend <laughs> brothers and sisters yes as, oh, the mayor, as the mayor might say well i mean i'm just so excited to have you here thank you oh. i mean really appreciate yeah. it too right. i like the podcast matchup it's it's like the Judson's Flintstones. I really I appreciate it. I'm happy to be here. A- anytime we can return the favor of yes. your substantial yes. podcast, which oh. Max and Murphy, which everyone should be listening to, Thank and you. was a great guide to this race. Um, let us know. Yeah, I don't know. We'll, we'll get smart. I don't know what to do. What what am I going to do with myself tomorrow? <laughs> <laughs> just say listen. See FAQ NYC. Perfect. Yeah, uh, we'll just play this on the loop for Wednesday, and uh, we'll be good. <laughs> No hard pass. Take a temperature. <laughs> uh, he only likes to hang out in like back rooms and like back booths of diners, like cutting deals and lining up financing for his run. Well, I have a feeling he'll be taking some Advil because I know that looking at the numbers for this race and looking at how Brooklyn came out and showed out for Jamani Williams, I think that he has some thinking to do um, significantly. John Liu is our first guest. He's back in office. Jumani came in after he was LG. He's in office. Tom Swazi is yep. presently in office. He was a guest here. Bill de Blasio, don't believe what these other people are saying. is the next president of the United there States, and he was on FAQ. Everyone okay. else, you know and how it we, is. And we've had former public advocates, right? So we've had Mark, Mark Green, Green. We've had Bill de Blasio. And, and we've had Jumani Williams, public advocate-elect. Mm-hmm. Let's see. Uh, let's see as he gets sworn in, uh, what his first orders of business are. Hmm. When does he get sworn in? I don't know. That's a good question. And then before you get sworn in, just just one other thing we should cover. He gave a pretty exceptional speech tonight that I don't think was a uh, was business as usual or, or just on a uh, or just on a script. Right. Um, I I watched it on New York One. Um, I thought that, you know, obviously he has to give his shout-outs in the beginning, which most politicians have to do, and I thought his, his acceptance speech was solid and genuine. But essentially, as we all thought that he was ending, he stops and, and, and t- has a very personal and it's almost visceral 
reaction to, I mean, he was definitely in shock, right? I mean, that he's won a citywide office and he's always been told that he should be capped and, you know, cut your hair and wear a suit and all of these things. And he stayed authentic to himself. And then he talked about being in therapy for three years. And he really just directly talked to young black boys specifically about not being defined by your title um, and knowing your value and your worth. And he talked about crying himself to sleep and missing his father and that's, I think, a common refrain. And for me, what was so powerful, I think, is because it's essentially the opposite of what Barack Obama has been doing in his role as the head of My Brother's Keeper. I mean, he's, in my opinion, teetering on, say, a Bill Cosby pound cake speech. He's sitting there wagging his fingers at black boys, telling them that they should be more perfect, right? As, as that great New York Times op-ed said, you know, Barack Obama's going around the country telling black boys that they should be perfect Trayvons as opposed to talking about the George Zimmermans. And I thought Jumani's latter part of his speech tonight was so genuine, it explained so clearly why he had the votes that he had. I was told I was capped on how high I can go in politics because I was too principled. And I said at that moment in time, that's okay. All I have to worry about is the people, my family, the ancestors, and the most high. I want to speak out on this because it's important. I've been in therapy for the past three years. I want to say that publicly, I want to say that to black men who are listening. There was a time when the title I held was my identity. And that's a dangerous thing. The best time came for me when I realized no matter what title I have, there's a space in the world for me and I can make incredible change. There was power when I ran for lieutenant governor, and there was power when I ran for public advocate, because unlike so many, I knew I'd be all right without in the world. Yes. Nobody knows he cries himself to sleep sometimes.
FAQ NYC was created by Ozzy Pabra and Harry Siegel, executive producer Alex Brooklyn, weekly producer Jordan Gaspore.